0: Okay, so this here is the second Piotr Nissan podcast. I have a really good guest, long-time employee, Kelly Adams, who's worked in all parts of this dealership. We're going to go into lots of cool things. His history, working in the car business, when he left the car business, came back in. He's worked in uh, three total positions, service, service advisor, as well as sales. And on top of that, we're going to jump right into, at some point, talking about CVTs, transmissions, and his... Uh, take on all that, which I know a lot of you are interested in. We could talk about it on podcasts. We can't talk about it on all the other stuff, but uh, Kelly, I'll let you introduce yourself.
1: Hey, Kelly Adams here, uh Nissan employee since 2001, short of a 20-month stint doing
0: something completely different. So, Kelly, what is the... So, you started in 2001. Um, you... Uh, You worked with your dad and and family doing car shows and things like that. So give me a little preview on the first car you worked on, the first oil change you did, to what got you interested in cars. Uh, First car I worked on was probably my own.
1: My first car was an 81 Mustang. Okay. Uh, You know, in the family for years and driven into the ground. (laughs) So, uh, you know, we used to change the oil in my dad's cars, and I would recycle the oil through my Mustang because it burnt more oil than it kept in. But, you know, polish it up and take the T-tops off that leaked terribly and run around getting terrible gas mileage and pulling spark plugs to clean them every tank of fuel. So it ran right, but that's where it started. Did
0: you, uh, when you worked on cars, did you ever think it was going to be a career? At first, not really, uh, but then
1: the more and more, I was getting my hands on, I fell in love with just the process, you know, it's just an innate object, it doesn't talk back, it doesn't give you its opinion, they can be a real pain in your side, but it took me away from having to be in the general spotlight, I guess you could say.
0: And some people that, like, you looked at in a shop that you maybe first worked around that you were like, they inspired you, mentored you, made you think this profession of being a technician was going to be a pretty cool profession? Uh, first one was Keith Tilton,
1: was just a complete gearhead and had two daughters that didn't really have a whole lot of interest in cars. So when I came along, I feel like he just kind of saw a little sponge and I wanted to ask questions. And he was kind of guy that could walk up to a car and just touch it and see if like it would fix itself. And that was always extremely impressive to me. And then when I left here, I went to Auburn Nissan and found the exact same scenario from Jerry Avianni, who is now employed here. Same scenario, gearhead, two
0: daughters, young kid. What was like Keith Tilton's like philosophy on cars? Like, was every car fixable, or was there some cars that just were impossible to fix? I never
1: once saw him not fix something he put in front of him. If it was in front of him, he figured it out. I think one of my <laughs> one of my fondest memories is. First time I ever pulled a transmission was a 91-240SX, and the top bell housing bolt, I just, I could not get a socket on it. You have to lower the back of the transmission down and then put a three-foot-long extension on a wobbly socket to get to it, and I fought it for 10, 15 minutes, and I could just see Keith over in my left side just watching and sipping his coffee and (laughs) kind of giggling to himself. He came over after about 10 minutes and said, you know, do you want me to help you with that? I said, no, don't touch it. If I need your help, I'll ask for it. Just leave me alone. So another 10, 15 minutes goes by, but it feels like this. It's probably really five minutes, but it feels like forever trying to figure out how to get a socket onto a bolt and just getting really frustrated. And he came over again, smile on his face. He's like, so are you ready for some help? And I'm like, you know, I am. I'm getting frustrated at this point. I busted my knuckles under the car. I caught a drive line to the forehead. I mean, I was I was frustrated. Yeah. And he walked over, and while had his arms up above his head, working blindly with the extension of the socket, he was just looking at me, dead in the eyes, putting everything together, <laughs> looking at me and just smiling. I was all right, you're ready. I'm like, what do you mean I'm ready? He's like, it's ready to go. All you got to do is just zap it out. And this seemed like an eternity. It probably took him three seconds. Yeah. And so he let go of the extension. I walked over and sure enough, it was on and I broke the bolt loose and he never turned around, just walked away and walked back to his toolbox. I
0: know, just laughing to himself. (laughs) And guys like him, is it unique that like someone that's really talented that likes to help other guys in the shop? It just depends. I've seen
1: it both ways. I've seen it where guys are absolute genius and they're willing to share it. And I've seen it the other way where guys are absolute genius and maybe just keep it to themselves. Uh, it's I think it's more about being asked for help or asked for an opinion um, is probably the biggest difference. I've never really come across anybody that wasn't willing to help. I've. It's more... Some people will just offer it up without you asking, and some guys will wait
0: until you ask. Have you ever worked with someone that went and started their own shop? No. Have you ever heard horror stories of people trying to do that from the technician world, from the new car manufacturer side I of things? Me? Not anything that would
1: I would consider like directly. I mean, I maybe hear things through the grapevine here. I've seen guys leave a manufacturer... The, you know, work in the shop and leave a manufacturer job to go to an independent. And uh, most of them end up back
0: in the dealership. When you get underneath a car, and let's just say the last 20 years, let's let's say 2001, 2002, and newer. Uh, so we'll leave out all the old cars. Do you see a noticeable difference between like a Ford, a Chevy, a Toyota, a Nissan, and just the way it was built Ease of working on, and we'll leave all the high end stuff out because we don't really see that much stuff.
1: I don't know that you can see that it, it is put together any different, it, they're all different, and it's more just the tools required to get the job done. Yeah, um, I now own European cars, and they can be a real pain to work on, but they're just way over engineered compared to some of the stuff I've touched. Um, but every manufacturer is guilty of having. Engineers put stuff in places they will never
0: have to get their hands back into. <laughs> so it's just like afterthoughts when they built the car. They build.
1: It's like seems as if they built the car around two bolts that you can't get to. It just doesn't make sense. But
0: so before we move on to the advisor world and uh, your time away from the car business and what brought you back in, I got to touch on top. And the reason why I bring this up is I, you know, I like to post on TikTok and I'd say about, you know. Out of the eighty thousand people that follow the account, and thanks to all the people that view it and all that good stuff, um, I'd say about forty percent of the ten thousand on average comments that are sent to me a monthly through my videos. It doesn't matter if I'm talking about a Z. It doesn't matter if I'm talking about a NV. If I'm talking about a whatever seven-speed transmission, they bring up CVT. What is your thought? And we we can, you know we we love Nissan. Nissan pays our bills and all that. But what's your thoughts on what did Nissan do? Wrong for a few years, and that CVT that set them apart from other manufacturers that used it. I don't think it's Nissan in
1: particular. From what I understand, there's only two manufacturers of CVTs in the world. Yeah, and they're in every major brand. Everybody uses them. Yeah. Um. From what I understand, we have the most problematic CVT or CVTs. Um. My theory is it's not the transmission. I believe it is the tuning for the transmission. Yeah. Um. I think that what I've seen seems to be in the more fuel-efficient cars have more issue. So, Lotus placement, you know, small four-cylinder economy car is... I don't even know if I could calculate how many more we saw with CVT issues than the stuff with the V6. Because for a stretch, there was only the Frontier, the Armada, the Titan, that didn't use a CBT. And that's, you know, we're starting to get back to some more automatics now, but it was in everything. And the V6-powered vehicles, I don't feel like we saw anywhere near as quick of deterioration or amount of deterioration. And I think that that is in my own personal opinion, is that it's getting the transmission to lock up the torque converter, and get one-to-one where you've got a little tiny engine humming at 15, 1,800 RPM. And my theory is that the vibration that goes across the engine and into the transmission too is what eventually causes the belts or the chains to start slipping. Um, the early ones too, the take was not to change the transmission fluid. It was a quote-unquote lifetime fluid. And any fluid, especially when you're d- dealing with temperatures that get up 200, 300 degrees, fluid breaks down so i think a lot of the early stuff you could attribute to not changing the fluid
0: and then nissan made a make and again this is just all informational stuff and in our opinions it's not come from nissan nothing but nissan originally said do not change the nissan transmission fluid yep yeah. and they changed their stance on that uh they did the first
1: one that i recall changing was i think it's the 2020 Sentra when it came out I think then the recommendation on the C B T fluid in the center I think came down to sixty thousand. So the recommendation when I left the service department was that we were gonna recommend
0: every sixty thousand just to stay on the safe side of things. And then so your basically your theory is that Nissans run hotter than like Toyotas and Hondas, and that's why the chain breaks versus I've never seen a chain break. What happens is the chain
1: starts to skip and yeah. that creates a slippage like you would have in a a normal five or seven speed transmission. It can't clamp down and the gears are spinning inside. Or the, the they, they don't use gears. They, they only cut gears in them are in the reverse section, but the pulleys that run, I believe, so the chain rides in between the pulleys that expand and contract to change the ratio. And I think that the vibration and the heat translates into that chain skipping and initially causing an issue.
0: And a lot of people blame it on the Nissan-Renault alliance, and they think when Renault came in, a French company, which over here in America, if anybody's listening to this outside of the United States, uh, we're not familiar with that brand at all. We hear, we see the logo and all that, but the truth is all manufacturers, especially the Asian ones, were all moving to CVT. Correct. And then they had the two manufacturers, which we picked JATCO j-a-t-c-o i think do you know any other manufacturers that use jacko i that i don't know for sure it's uh it's just a controversial topic it's obviously given a bad name to nissan and um i know you've had some thoughts and opinions on it and it just you know it it sucks because nissan makes overall quality car and you know obviously like i said we've been with the brand for a long time and Uh, I mean, engines wise, I mean, they hold up with the best still, like they still have the nineties. Yeah. I mean, the,
1: the three, five that's in production now, from what I understand is all based off the original three liter that started in the early eighties. Yeah. Um, you know, and then went to the twin cam three liter and then went to the three, three and now it's the three five. From what I understand though, it's all fairly close to the same.
0: What about, um, what is the most reliable car that you've seen or truck that Nissan's made in the last 20 years that you saw the least amount of problems with? I would say probably the Titan. Titan? Mm-hmm.
1: Just the 5.6 five, five, liter? Overall mechanical, the, the 5.6 and the Titan, if you change the oil and take care of that stuff. It, I mean, we've had many of them come through the department with 300, 350, 400,000 miles on them still running strong.
0: Last derogatory thing I'll say about uh, that Nissan's are blemish on their record. What went wrong, in your opinion, with Nissan and the X, or the Cummings Diesel uh, partnership in those four years? They started it, promoted it, and then they pulled the plug on it. Like, what was wrong with those trucks?
1: I don't necessarily think it was anything wrong with the trucks. I think it was a market that they dove into. They weren't really sure how it was going to react. Just the it was different we haven't had a diesel in anything it's a completely different animal and overall I mean that the engines made power reliability wise I think it was more just parts that would fail I mean I don't we saw a couple of diesel engines had to be replaced in the shop but I don't know exactly what the the downfall was there but I think a lot of it was it almost seemed like trial and error we're going to dip her toe in the water and see how to check the temperature and it didn't respond well.
0: So you moved on. So back to your career. So you moved (laughs) on to the, the advisor world back to my original questions. Was there anybody that kind of a manager advisor that you're like, I could be like that guy or girl.
1: Not necessarily when I, when I started writing service. Um, it was just in the time I was at Auburn, uh, Nissan and we were right in the midst of the downturn in the economy you know 2007 2008 into 2009 and I was spending more time sitting in my toolbox playing around on Craigslist than I was actually working on cars yeah um, we found out we were pregnant with our first child and I needed some more steady income I figured if I could put my hands on 10 or 15 repair orders a day instead of one or two cars a day I had the opportunity to make some more money and provide and I also enjoy people I like to talk I you know I'm passionate about what I do but I've been told multiple times I can strike up a conversation with anybody so I figured why not try to get my face
0: in front of people and see if that's the case and here we are do you think that – because the advisor world, I did it for a minute back when I was, like, 25. The one thing I, I – I, my impressions of it, and still to this day, it's chaotic. I don't know if, if people hear when you check in your car. Um, Do you think that's still, like, the advisor world could be more perfected? Like, nothing's ever perfect. No line in the dealership. But, like, you go back in the shop. It's pretty well organized. Everything's – when you go in there, it's chaotic. And I get that's where – Retail meets, you know, people. the The customer meets the the dealership. Um, I heard a stat once that if you sell a car to someone and you sell them a car, let's say four years later, they interact with your shop twenty times in between. Meaning, one bad interaction, they they peel right. out of here. You never sell them that second or third or whatever car. Sure. But what like advisors? Like, how could that job be easier without having to staff a hundred people? <laughs> i don't I don't know if that
1: is a thing without having to staff more people um you know it's it really comes down to your advisors taking care of what's in front of them um you know the 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 pace is breakneck speed at all times yeah um go 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 you don't stop from the time you walk in the door to the time you go home and there's phones ring in and you know there's you're on the phone with one guest or one customer trying to close out a repair order for another customer with two people waiting to be greeted or to to get checked in Um, I, I don't know that there is a way to simplify it without more bodies and you know it comes down to people wanting to help you know you could have 15 extra bodies in the department it doesn't run any smoother if you don't have everybody on the same
0: page well like for example like for one minute you could be checking in a customer and his usb cord doesn't work and then the next minute you could be checking in a customer and his engine failed mm-hmm. and th- they want the same oh we're just doing We're back. So this is the second part of this. That's good that we just got interrupted here for a minute. But anyway, we're talking about just the busyness with Kelly Adams, uh, in the service department, just like, I think anybody could relate if they check drop off car, like, how do you make the flow and the process and everything better with service? And I guess adding more bodies, (laughs) more technology, does that,
1: that can help and hinder, um, not everybody is extremely tech savvy, not necessarily from the position of being the advisor, but trying to use that technology for some is, is difficult. So I think it, it ultimately benefits in the end, but the adaptation, you know, it's change and it seems to be one thing that people agree on. Not everybody's a huge fan of.
0: Most people don't realize when when you check in a car and you're working with an advisor, you're still a salesman. You're paid off gross. Correct. If if you're dealing with a warranty item like a USB cord that's not connecting, that's just an easy example. Uh, you can't you have to give that person the same attention and it's making you 0. dollars. And it sure. might be ro- something wrong with their cord or their phone and they're tying up a loaner car and a technician <laughs> and uh and all that. But uh so you did advising for several years and what you, we could talk about it. What what burned you out of it all? The
1: pace. Yeah. You know, just you, it's a, it's a position where you get out what you put in. Yeah. And I felt that, you know, if I wasn't the one to get it done, it wasn't going to get done. I didn't like to rely on my teammates a lot. You know, I would and I'd ask for help occasionally, but I was always of the mindset just to put your head down and grind it out and you know it was uh it was just time i think the average life of an advisor is about 5 years and i did it for almost 11 yeah um i loved the job I made, met many many great people and you know built some relationships where you really feel connected to the people that you're helping um, you know, now I've seen a lot of those people through the other side and on the sales process or through the sales process on the side of the wall. Um, but it just, it was time for me to, to make a change
0: for, for me and the
1: family and
0: time was the biggest thing. So one thing we skipped over, but you did lead the car business before you got, so you were an advisor at a couple other Nissan stores, ever non-Nissan, is it always Nissan? No, it's always been Nissan. And then you left and you got into what kind of line of work? <laughs> I went to work for Aramark Uniform
1: Services, so, I mean, laundry, essentially, rugs and uniforms and towels and Did whatnot. you,
0: how quick into that job transition did you realize that you might not want to be in that line of work?
1: Uh, the It was hard, um, but I enjoyed it because the scenery changes every 10 to 15 minutes. You're one stop to the next stop and not at a desk not nobody over your shoulder you know if I want to pull over and eat a sandwich I can do that just that's on my time and getting to see the the different you know meeting all the different people different stops and I saw the behind the scenes of a lot of cool stuff with Aramark Um, when I landed my route uh, I ended up with a territory in Bellevue I live in Puyallup so I was driving to Kent then loading my truck and driving to Bellevue and spending all day in Bellevue, back to Kent from Kent to Puyallup, So leaving my house at three, three thirty in the morning and not getting home till five thirty, six o'clock, five days a week. We were, found out we were pregnant with our second child, yeah. and then the time just kind of went out. It just it burnt me out. If the the job itself was was fantastic, I really enjoyed the the position, but it just it wasn't going to be long term. So. I realized that I needed to start looking to get
0: out probably, I'd probably been there 14 months total. And Justin came calling, right? Justin, our service manager, Justin Friday. Not He
1: didn't come calling per se,
0: but he reached out to me on a Wednesday
1: and asked if I still knew anybody down here in the shop. And at that point, I had had a, a hand, a couple of people I still communicated with every once again. I actually almost came back to work here in... October of 2008, um, as an advisor, and just wasn't ready to pull the trigger quite yet, Yeah, and so he called me in, must have been February of 2014, sorry, so yeah, that was, almost came back October of 13. Justin called me, and just said, hey, you know, do you know anybody down at Puyallup still? I said, well, you know, not, not really, I mean why what's going on he said well i'm taking over on the 18th (laughs) and i said oh do you need some help (laughs) and his comment was i thought you were done with the car business and i said so do i but i'm less done or more done commuting to bellevue every day yeah so i came down and we met and talked and kind of went over things and where it was and where he had visions of it going and offered me the position and that was that. So, what, what do you remember? Like, what was his visions? Just that, you know, the store itself, that the shop wasn't doing super well. Um, just with the amount of techs, the size of the shop, the inventory of new cars, um, even the amount of cars that were being sold, as you were saying earlier, you sell the car and it might make its way back here 20, 25 times before they're looking for a new car. So the potential of, selling significantly more cars that brings more cars through the service department. Um, to his vision was just, was, was grand. Um, and I came on like the 9th of April, 2014 and hit the ground running. And that was, that was the beginning of the start back here.
0: Yeah. That's, it's, it's unique. Cause it went just, that was a turning point in PL Nissan's history. You know, my dad's been the dealer here since 1975 and, uh, you know, we've had bad, you know, no offense, just, just a poorly ran, uh, service and, uh, center for some time coming up to this, this, uh, up to 2014, good people just didn't have the right people, but vision is very rare in this industry. You know, and people are attracted to it cause you really don't know the next step. If you're in commission sales, you're in churning wrenches or whatever, you're just kind of like given your daily work or your daily customer. But when someone says they want to turn around and you guys as a team certainly did, um, and then obviously you get burnout. That's it, it's interesting. Like why is seven to, or five to seven years, the burnout period in that job? I think there's so many things that could be changed because you can see a guy like on our sales guy, like Dan Renard or even Gil Gaxiola who's a long time salesman here, retired, or obviously Steve grill and there's no burnout. So sales a little different cause you're like zero to two years out. Are your 30 or 40 years, like sure. Dan Renard, like, cause I guess it's not as hard on your body.
1: Well, I think just the, the pace, the overall pace. Yeah. Um, and you know, it took me a good year and a half, two years to, <laughs> to learn that people are not angry with you when they come into service and their car's broken. Yeah. Um, they're just mad at the situation, but you know, the saying is don't shoot the messenger yeah and in the service department, you're the messenger you get fired at all day, and it takes some time to learn how to work through that inside yourself to yeah. determine, hey you know they're not mad at me. it's not a situation where the customer's angry with me. You just happen to be the face that's in front of them in a situation that they didn't have any intention to be in yeah um and it's just there's no just setting it down, you know? It's like when you go to a restaurant, if your server decided that they were gonna take your order and then go to lunch and you were waiting for your food, it's if it's in front of you, it's gotta be done. And if you were to just walk away from a stack of two repair orders, then you get back and then there's seven repair orders. Well, now you've got seven phone calls to make and it's just the, the pace of making time management is huge in the service department as an advisor. And it's very easy to get distracted and thrown off a routine and then really difficult to get back into that. It's really just a focus of doing what's in front of you right now and one at a time. But before you know it, you've been there 10 hours. I guess let's
0: let's (laughs) move on the customer side. If you're a customer, let's say you bought a brand new Nissan Altima, not diagnosed with any maybe issues that it has. How would you treat a service department? Would you, knowing what you know, like would you you drop it off each time or would you ever wait?
1: I guess it depends on what I had going on, but knowing what I know now, more likely would schedule
0: something to drop it off and leave it. How much pressure would you put on them for a loaner car if it's anything that's a day or so? I guess for me, I mean, I live
1: close, so it's not as drastic of an issue for me to... Find people around. Maybe if I need a ride, you know. You get into the day or two. I guess it all comes to planning, um, but yeah, dropping off is always a better
0: issue. What about like uh, what? And obviously, we we make money off sales and, and things out there. But what would you never miss other than oil change as an owner of a car? Oil change is number one,
1: and what I can say yeah. just from experience and. The longer you wait for one little thing, it becomes ten big things. Um, oil changes are number one. Rotating tires because tires are like a roof on your house. Where no matter how long it's been since you replaced them, you think you just did it, and it's not cheap. What about brakes fun. and brakes? I mean, everybody has to be able to stop. So <laughs> that's yeah. one of those that when you're, you know, when if if they're making noise, it's you're <laughs> you've waited too long. But the uh just the general basic maintenance stuff is preventative maintenance and that's where you catch a lot of the stuff what
0: would you major. If, if we took you and your family and the family of four and we gave you two uh, a two twenty seventeen 2017 ultimate a 2018 nissan rogue and we transplanted you obviously this is all hypothetical to like nebraska what would you look for in a shop when you're going to go find your first place to go service I mean,
1: obviously, Google reviews, Yelp, I mean, a lot of research online. That's the number one thing. I personally would, the connection with the advisor, whoever was scheduling the appointment, just the initial, the first time you step foot in the facility, that, that would be how I determine where I would go.
0: Like, just the feel, like the quality of the, the desk and.
1: Yeah, and I mean, just the the not just the atmosphere of the store or the shop but the the people i've had a personal experience that i wasn't (laughs) super stoked about um had to get a recall done took 10 minutes to get greeted standing in front of a couple of advisors um phone rang at one of the desks for 10 minutes and never got
0: answered how important like if you have a car that's under 10 years old is it to bring it back to your oem um for various things like service, I think that's it's
1: imperative. The first, you know, the first thirty-six thousand miles or three years, there's no sense in if there's something wrong with the vehicle that you're not aware of and you bring it in and it's under warranty. Why would anybody not want to have it fixed without having to come out of pocket? So those first, I think the first two to three years are crucial. Getting it back to the manufacturer to make sure that everything looks okay, um, and if there was any issues that could be fixed under
0: warranty or repaired under warranty you want to address those before you're out like if if you you one thing you see probably when you look at like a 2014 nissan sentra that hasn't seen a nissan shop in seven years it probably has missed a couple recalls that they weren't even aware of sure yeah recalls and um just
1: there's a lot of stuff that the manufacturers can look up that a lot of places can't
0: yeah um, so we'll move on to the last part. Um, we'll have two 15 minute segments with you, but, uh, sales, how's that been for you for the last, cause when did you move
1: exactly to, to, uh, new car my sales? my first day on the sales floor was the 23rd of March last year. So 2022,
0: what was the hardest transition in that first six months being a car salesman? <laughs> the, the pace. <laughs> Just slow. <laughs> oh, it is. It Cause is when you think slow. pace, you think uptick, but it's slow tick. Yeah. I went, I went, uh,
1: more than 180 degrees. Well, 180 degrees, the opposite direction from what I was used to of go, go, go to, you know, the only people you might talk to for two days or the people you work with.
0: What, uh, like, is there any salesmen, um, you know, talk about the ones you didn't want to be like, but like ones you're like, I could see where they kind of, where they create a path to a sale that I could see myself doing that you saw. I mean everybody on the floor now Mark
1: Dan Steve Rocky Boot I mean Denise even too it's everybody's got something different to add yeah and that's coming from the shop experiences there's not only one right way to do things um you know you you pick and choose and put together something that Dustin or Brent might say yeah and pair that with a tactic I've seen Mark using and then word play or word track that I've heard Steve use and just the, the bubbly jumping up that Denise has and Rocky's ability to juggle multiple things at a time and, you know, Dan's presence and his dedication to former customers and doing everything he can to exhaust all options for people. So you just kind of pick and choose and take little bits that I appreciate from everybody and then try to put some of it, you know, use some, your own kind of spin
0: on it Yeah. and everybody everybody grows is like Dylan, for instance, give me an example. He said that he was really, um, when we talked him on the podcast, in the first episode, he was very like, uh, anxious in the beginning. And he felt like he chased people out unintentionally because he was so anxious. And he said one day he watched Rocky, who was one of our top Hispanic or, or top salesmen. He's our Hispanic salesman. Just act just cool and calm and he's like oh that's what people feed off more sure. that's why he sells so many cars he sure. doesn't act over like panicked he kind of just is like well let's just see i mean is there any of those moments you had where it was like a a switch that happened where you're like oh that's kind of how you do it
1: I, I don't necessarily think uh not not like that that i can think of it's funny you mentioned Dylan. Uh within my first couple of days is when he transitioned from the new car side to the used car side. Oh, that's right. So he was like, hey man, you, you take my office, everything's ready to rock, you can have an office. And i was like, well, I don't think I want an office. Yeah. You want to be out here on the floor in front of everybody? <laughs> like, do you have any idea how awkward it is to sit here and talk to people like that? Yeah. And I'll never forget the look on his face because I just kept, I was looking right in the eyes and I said, Dylan, you realize what I did for the past eight years here was have conversations with people about financial obligations or issues with their vehicles face to face with four other people standing right next to us. I said, sitting out here in the open is not something I'm I'm worried about or I'm nervous about. Um, and then you know, just a, the first couple of deals that I had, I, I can I concur with him as far as the anxiousness. It's it's all new. You people can tell that you haven't been doing it very long and you want to just jump up and make everything happen right now. So yeah, you talk about just the cool, calm, collected. Um, it was probably first couple months I felt kind of like fish out of water, anxious. And then you get a handful of deals under your belt and then you get one or two that go really smooth and you don't you feel that anxiousness waning and then you do one where oh all of a sudden i feel like i look like everybody else on the floor doing this and i haven't freaked out once yeah and
0: so yeah it was probably two or three months in i remember one of my favorite things was a young salesman was uh when the manager would tell me go pick up a car like and it could be clear on the other side of the lot but you were like it was so tense to be around the because you didn't really know what to say you're like okay they could be babysat by whatever sales manager was <laughs> so I could like just like get a breather and get away and like think like what am I going to do next because like I don't know like they came in they said they wanted these and we're going a different direction but they seem to be cool with it maybe they do want the $40,000 car when they said their price was stuck at 30 like that's one thing that people don't realize as sales people especially the modern day sales people in a, a store like ours like we're never pushing anybody to anything, but sure. like sometimes they come in with like a thirty thousand dollar price tag in their head, but they want third row and they want it to be under warranty and they want four wheel drive and then you have to give them uh that reality check of like what it is but um yeah that's uh that's cool well. I think we got about thirty-three minutes logged total, so we'll end it on this one. But that was fun, Kelly. Uh, do you have any last things you want to add to your stories? Anything?
1: Yeah, uh, not a moment. Come see Kelly for an Nissan. <laughs> yeah,
0: cool. All right, thanks again. Bye.